is a message from one of our Sunday celebrations. And you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. Okay, let's get into God's Word, shall we? If you've got a Bible with you, or an electronic version of the same, if you'd like to turn to Luke chapter 3, please. We're working our way through the, uh, the Gospel of Luke, and uh, spending some time in this Gospel, encountering Jesus, and for some of you that may be encountering him uh, again, after you know, following him for many years. For some of you it may be new, and uh, new things that we're looking at. Uh, either way, I'm sure that God has got things for us from his word this morning. So we've got to Luke chapter 3, and uh, we've looked at John the Baptist preparing the way, and we're, we're going to pick up the narrative now in verse 15. So Luke chapter 3, verse 15. The people were waiting expectantly, and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Christ. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one more powerful than I will come, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words... John exhorted the people and preached the good news to them. But when John rebuked Herod the Tetrarch because of Herodias, his brother's wife, and the, all the other evil things he had done, Herod added this to them all. He locked John up in prison. When all the people were being baptised, Jesus was baptised too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Now Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. He was the son, so it was thought, of Joseph. Okay, let's pray together and then we'll spend some moments looking at God's words. Lord Jesus, we do thank you for your presence here. We thank you for your words. And we pray now as we spend these moments looking at Scripture together, looking at your word, Lord. We pray that you would be our teacher. We pray, oh God, that it would come alive to us. We pray that you would help us understand what we read. And Lord God, you would apply it to our lives. We ask it, please, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so we pick up the story here then, the narrative that Luke is giving us when we come to the account, as we've seen already, of John the Baptist, whose job it was to prepare the way for Jesus to come. That was his job description. Uh, In your Bible, it may even be headed, John the Baptist prepares the way. And that's what he's been doing here. He's been preaching a baptism of repentance. He's been... Uh, telling people to get right with God because the Messiah is coming and Jesus is just about to come on the scene. So John was baptising people. John the Baptist, as his nickname became, was that because he baptised people. And his baptism was a baptism of repentance. We see that in, uh, 
in verse 3 of, of Luke chapter 3, it says, uh, John went into all the country around the Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And so it's to signify a turning away, a, sort of a change of direction, if you like, from living in one way to living in another way. And it was uh, a turning uh, from things that were far from God and a turning of things towards God and the turning of someone's whole life indeed towards the Lord. So we've looked previously at uh, uh, earlier chapters in Luke where John challenges insincere repentance. Maybe you were here a couple of weeks ago when we, when we looked at that. And he's clearly looking for changed hearts. John is after a change in someone's heart, not just a verbal assent, not just a saying of the right words, but actually a total change of someone's heart. A change, in fact, of direction, as we were saying just a moment ago. So where he sees that, that's good. Where he doesn't, he really goes for it and attacks it, people who are just verbalising something and not really changing hearts. So for John's hearers, for those who are even John's disciples, if you like, this baptism was significant for them because it signified a change of direction. It signified them turning towards the Lord. You see, it's easy to miss that now that we actually baptise people into Jesus. And we'll see that in a moment. But baptism already is significant for John's disciples. John's hearers, those who went out to him, would have largely been Jews. And they were looking forward to and expecting their Messiah. They would have known that he was to come. It was looked forward to. It was expected. They may not have got all the detail right. They may have been looking for a different type of Messiah, someone who would save them from the Romans rather than change their hearts. But they knew this person was to come. And their baptism was themselves getting ready for the coming of the Lord. And John makes it really clear. He's looking forward to someone else. It isn't about him. He's just preparing the way. He's laying the ground. He's getting people ready to receive their Messiah. All the time he is pointing towards someone else. He's pointing towards Jesus. John's clear. He's not the Christ. He's coming soon. And no doubt that would have been a daily message for John. It's not me. I'm preparing the way. The Messiah is coming. That would have been part of his regular preach, his commonly delivered sermon. But today is different. One day he wakes up and it isn't so much the Messiah is coming soon, but rather as he's to discover the Messiah is coming now and today. Matthew also gives us an account of uh, what happens here. And he gives us a little bit more detail, actually. He gives us a little bit more information as to actually what happened. Just to read a few verses from, from Matthew chapter 3, verse 13, if you're following it. It says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you come to me. Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And then John consented. 
And then much as Luke tells us, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. So it's clear that Jesus came to John to be baptized. It wasn't by accident. It didn't happen without planning. Jesus' intention very clearly was to be baptized by John. John tried to refuse, thinking it was the wrong way around, but Jesus was very clear about what was happening here. He was saying that it needed to happen to fulfill all righteousness. What does that mean? Michael Green, in his commentary uh, called The Message of Matthew from the Bible Speaks Today series, says this. He says, in the context here, righteousness refers to the quality of life that was demanded of candidates for baptism by John, who both displayed righteousness in his own life and uncompromisingly challenged others to do the same. We've talked about that already. Michael Green goes on. He says, by submitting to baptism, Jesus acknowledged God's claim on him, as on others, for total consecration of life and holiness of character. It is part of his life of obedience. And John, though his inferior, should feel no embarrassment about taking part in it. So Jesus was acknowledging God's claim on him for total consecration of life and holiness of character. And the same, friends, is true for us as well. So Jesus would have wanted to get baptised in order to model something for you and for I. Later, he would command his disciples to teach and to baptise others. No one can accuse Jesus of not being prepared to go through it himself. So he was baptised in order partly to model to others what they were to do. So what does baptism then mean for us? We've got John baptising Jesus here. And as we've just seen there, Jesus was later to instruct his disciples to baptise and to teach others. What does it mean for us? Let's just spend a few moments just looking at this. See, baptism is an outward sign of something that goes on inside. Even surgeons, when they open up your body and look inside your heart, as they can do in quite remarkable ways these days, don't see what God sees in your heart. Surgeons see valves and blood pumping around, don't they? Whereas God sees what's gone on in your character. And in your heart, that we use that, that word to uh, express our sort of minds and our emotions and everything that's inside us that God has put in us, our spiritual part of us. And God sees that. Other people don't see that, but God does. And so baptism is an outward sign that shows that something has gone on inside already. The word baptism... Uh, comes from a, a Greek word which means to baptise or to dip under or maybe to dye. So you might take a cloth and want to change its colour. You'd, you know, you'd have dipped it in a bucket of dye and immersed it fully to pull it out and to change its colour. The word was also used of ships that had sunk um, out in the ocean, which seems quite appropriate on uh, today as we celebrate the anniversary of the Titanic sinking. 
Well, it could be said it was baptised. It sunk, it was totally immersed. It's a sort of everyday word that would have been used. For us, baptism has got uh, purely religious connotations to it, but it may have been used in, in other ways to signify what was, what was going on. So the idea behind it is total immersion, total submersion, if you like, totally immersed as a bit of cloth would be, or a ship would be if it was sunk. So that's why we, we talk, when we talk about baptism, we mean baptism by full immersion, not just some sprinkling of water. Because that's the New Testament pattern of what baptism meant. And it was always in this order. It was believe and be baptised. Baptism followed belief. It followed what God had done in someone's heart and was an outward picture and expression of it. And if we move on from John's baptism, then after Jesus' time, it was always a case of believing in Jesus and be baptised. These things always went together. So, for example, in Acts chapter 2, we read this, verse 37 and 38. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? This is after Peter had preached on the day of Pentecost. Peter replied, Repent and be baptised, every one of you. In the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So it's worth just pointing out here that the, the issue is not infant baptism or adult baptism, as sometimes the conversations go. But rather this is believer's baptism. It's believe and be baptised. So age doesn't come into it. It's understanding that is the issue not someone's age. It's really important. Baptism follows repentance. And that was true even for John's disciples. Baptism followed repentance. It's a sign. So it's not baptism that saves you. Let's be really, really clear about this. It's not baptism that makes you a Christian. It's not baptism that saves you. It's faith in Jesus that saves you. That baptism is a sign, is a picture, if you like, of what's happened inside going on on the outside for others to see so if you're a christian here this morning and you haven't yet been baptized i want to explain to you why you should get baptized and uh, for those of you who are a christian here this morning and have been baptized already stay with me because i've got something to say to you in a few moments as well so if you're a Christian this morning and you haven't yet been baptised, why should you be? Why is it important? Well, there are a few things that the Bible teaches us about baptism. There are a few things that is important to understand. Firstly, baptism shows your obedience to Jesus. So Jesus commanded his followers to be baptised. Matthew 28, verse 18 to 20. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So baptism is a totally biblical command from Jesus himself. 
And obviously Jesus here in Matthew 28 was teaching his disciples, those he'd been with for the last three years or so, what to do, what to say, what to teach. But clearly it applies to us as well, his disciples some years down the ages. These were almost Jesus' last words before he was taken back into heaven. We always take someone's last words quite seriously, don't we? Sometimes you say, oh, what was so-and-so's last words? Well, this was part of Jesus' last words. They're to be taken seriously. They're not just to be forgotten, but rather they're to be carefully obeyed. So if we're going to take God's words seriously, and I trust that many of us would want to do that, then we need to act on what it says. And the New Testament is very clear about baptism. It's, it's a normal part of following Jesus. Is part of being a Christian. It's another step in your life as a Christian. And for many, it's probably one of your first steps uh, as a Christian. Other steps might be things like being baptised in the Holy Spirit, or joining a church, learning to serve with the gifts that God has given you, telling others about your faith in Jesus. There are other steps that you may take as a Christian as well, but baptism is certainly one of them. And let's be clear about this as well. It's not that you have to reach a certain stage in your spiritual life to be mature enough to be baptised. Sometimes we can think, oh, well, I can get baptised, you know, when I've got to a certain stage, whatever that stage may be in my Christian life, when I've reached a certain level, whatever that might be, well, then I can be baptised. But actually, that's not what the Bible teaches. As you read through the New Testament, you'll find that Baptism happened very quickly often after someone becoming a Christian. It was believe and be baptised. The two things went together. And often they went together very quickly. Now clearly people need to understand what's happening. But there doesn't need to be a delay of several years. There doesn't need to be a certain course even that someone goes on. Providing they understand what's happening. Providing they put their faith in Jesus. Then somebody can be baptised. The New Testament also has no idea of a non-baptised believer, a bit like it has no idea of a Christian who isn't part of a local church. It just doesn't, doesn't, commute, doesn't compute. It's just part of following Jesus. So apart from the thief who was crucified next to Jesus, who put his trust in him at the last moment, as far as we can see, it seems that other believers were baptised as part of their walk with him and following him. This was normal New Testament Christianity. And God blesses obedience. So being baptised isn't an obedience issue, it's following Jesus. And I'd imagine as a Christian you'd want to bring pleasure to the Lord and be obedient to him. Well, baptism is part of that. This also shows our confession of Jesus. Jesus says, whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before men, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. Matthew chapter 10, verses 32 and 33. They're quite challenging verses, aren't they? They're meant to be. And baptism is one way, not the only way, but it's one way, we get to confess our trust and acknowledge our Lord before others. So it is a challenging verse, and it is meant to be. So 
I want to urge you, please take baptism seriously. If you're a Christian and haven't yet been baptized or maybe haven't yet thought it through well, I want to encourage you this morning to do that and see it as part of following Jesus and being obedient to him. Let me urge you, be enthusiastic even about declaring your love for Jesus, showing it to other people and publicly confessing him. So, to help you with this, we've got a baptism service coming up. It's probably going to be some point during the month of May. And if you'd like to get baptised, why don't you come and see me afterwards and we can talk about it and uh, help you with it. So that is it, if you like, is the ministry time. I'm not going to be praying about it this morning, but rather it's an action thing in terms of if, you, if you're a Christian, if you've trusted Jesus, you haven't yet been baptised, we've got a baptism service coming up. Let's talk about it and get you in on that. But it also shows your dedication to Jesus. Paul said in Romans 12, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Now, Paul isn't suggesting that you throw yourself on the nearest altar. But what he is saying is that worship is a whole part of your life. In fact, it isn't a part of your life. It is your life. And so worship isn't just what we do on a Sunday morning. It isn't what you might do with your small group on Tuesday or Wednesday night as you gather in someone's home in a different part of the city. But rather, worship is what you do all through your life. Even the way you live your life is worship to the Lord. The way you are at work is worship. The way you treat your husband or wife is worship. The way you speak to your kids is worship. The way you act on a Friday night out. All these things are part of worshipping the Lord. Yes, Sunday morning is part of it. Singing songs that declare our love for him is part of it. But it's not all of it. Our whole life is all of it. And baptism is part of uh, a life that worships the Lord. And uh, it also shows our identification finally with Jesus. We've seen that Jesus was baptised and, and if he was baptised then how much more should we be? We are identifying with him. But Jesus doesn't stop there. Because if we go back to our passage in Luke chapter 3, we see that uh, John refers to what Jesus is going to do when he says, he will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. What does that mean? Well, Jesus' disciples would have found out what that meant on the day of Pentecost. A few years later, in that upper room, after Jesus had died and risen again, ascended to heaven, he then sends the Holy Spirit, the promised Holy Spirit, the looked forward to Holy Spirit, the prophesied about Holy Spirit. And the disciples were, were told in Acts, baptised in the Holy Spirit. And the Bible very intentionally uses the same words. 
It's not just a, you know, not just a, well, let's pick a word out, let's call it baptism. But rather the idea is to remind us that just as in the same way baptism in water was to cover every part of you and totally immerse you in water, in the same way baptism in the Holy Spirit is when the Holy Spirit comes to you and you're immersed in him. And John was saying that Jesus is going to come and he's going to baptise you in the Holy Spirit and in fire. Even at this point, even before Jesus' earthly ministry had started, John was prophesying this and teaching it. And for us it's a reminder this morning that as Christians we don't just need to be baptised in water. But we also need to be baptised in the Holy Spirit. We need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. If you've been a Christian for any length of time, and many of you have this morning, I guess there have been times in your Christian life, there have certainly been times in mine, where you tried to follow Jesus in your own strength in your own power. You just thought, okay, I think I've understood a bit of what he says here. I'm, I'm going to try harder now. I'm, I'm going to try and work this out. I'm going to try and be obedient. I'm going to tr- work hard to pray more and to, and to get up early and to read my Bible and to tell other people that I love Jesus and to follow him. And I'm, I'm going, to, going to work hard at it. Has anybody done that? Is it, is it just me? A few of you are being honest. Thank you. <laughs> Keep me company. We do, don't we? Sometimes we try that. And we, we sort of try our greatest effort and intention. And if you're anything like me, and I think actually most of you are, then if you try to follow Jesus in your own strength, you'll find it exhausting. <laughs> you'll find that you get tired out. And it just doesn't seem to work. You think, oh, that doesn't make sense. I'm going to be following Jesus here. You sort of try harder and you give it another go. You think, okay, okay, this week I'll get up early and pray and read my Bible and tell us about Jesus and deal with these things. And you'll find that, okay, maybe you can do it for a few days and then it just doesn't seem to work out. Do you know why? The reason is that you're trying it in your own strength. The Bible is very clear. Even John was prophesying it. Here, as we've read, you're only baptized, empowered, filled by the Holy Spirit, who brings strength to you, who brings power to you. We even had a reference during our time of worship earlier about the same power. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is now at work in you to help you to follow him. It's remarkable, isn't it? There's something I referred to it a week or so ago. The same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is now at work in you as a Christian in order to help you to live for Jesus and to love him and to serve him. That is worth an amen, isn't it? It's remarkable. You see, God gives you, he wants to give you his Holy Spirit to enable you to follow Jesus, to give you the power that you need to empower you for life and for godliness. So it's not about you trying harder, it's about you looking to him. It's not about you working hard at it, it's about you trusting Jesus and receiving the Spirit, allowing him to come to you. When the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, 
on those early disciples. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that rested on them. I guess one or two of them may have thought back to what they'd heard about this interesting character called John the Baptist, referring even as he did at this stage to Jesus baptising with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Baptism in the Holy Spirit provides the power that you need as a Christian to follow Jesus. We don't have time this morning to unpack that any more. But let me encourage you. Let me just say this as we close. Baptism in water is part of the normal Christian life of following Jesus. The same way, baptism in the Holy Spirit provides you with the power that you need that God gives you to help you to follow him and to live for him. So Jesus was baptised, even though he didn't need to be, he didn't need to repent, he hadn't done anything wrong, he didn't need to turn away from a previous way of life. But he was baptised. So if you're a Christian here this morning and you haven't yet been, let me encourage you, be baptised as part of your following Jesus and your walk with him. What's stopping you from being baptised? And similarly, if you're a Christian here this morning and you're not sure if you've been baptised or filled with the Holy Spirit, let me encourage you, receive the Spirit. Receive the power that God has for you to enable you to live for him. And finally, if you're not yet a Christian, then let me encourage you, even as we talked about during our earlier time together, God's invitation to you is for a relationship with him. Even as Kevin was alluding to earlier and leading us in prayer. God's heart is towards you. He loves you and wants to invite you into a relationship with himself. What is your response this morning? As we can stand together, if the band can come back please, we'll uh, worship the Lord together as we close. Let's pray, shall we? Lord Jesus, we thank you for the example that you have given us. We thank you, Jesus, that you were baptised in water. Even though you didn't need to repent or turn away from a way of rebellion. Thank you that you showed us the way. Thank you that you gave us the example. And so, Father, I want to pray now for any here this morning who, who love you but haven't yet been baptised, I pray that you would speak to their hearts, even now, even in these moments. And Father, I pray you'd give them the courage to be baptised as part of their walk with you and following you. Father, I pray for all of us this morning who know and love you, that we will be empowered by your Spirit. We would not only receive the Spirit in this context, in a meeting, but, Lord, we would live 
in constant relationship with him. That the Holy Spirit would be empowering us on a daily basis, moment by moment, to live for you, to walk with you, to love and to follow you. And Father, for any who don't know you yet this morning, I pray that you would reveal your great love to them. Lord Jesus, that you would reveal your heart for them. And Lord, they would hear your invitation for relationship with you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship the Lord together as we close. Thanks for listening to this Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.uk and come along on any Sunday morning.